following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So ostensibly, we have been going through, off and on, going through the book of John uh, for the past few years, a little bit at a time. And uh, if that's news to you, it's probably because you're new to the community in the last year, because it's been almost exactly a whole year since the last time we were able to do this. Our thematic thread for last year, Beyond Our Walls, gave us all kinds of topics to address and talk about, and it made it a little bit trickier to get back into this ongoing piece-by-piece series. So um, I'm excited to get back into that this year um, more, more often. Um, so uh, the idea is that we, we talk about some things, and then we come back to John, and then we talk about something else, and we come back to John, and someday, someday maybe by the time my kids graduate high school, we'll finish up with the book of John, and we might move on to a different book at that point. Um, so when we left uh, Jesus, hopefully we didn't actually leave Jesus on June 23rd, 2013, but when we left the book of John, he had uh, just performed three of his, the seven big miracles or signs that John includes in his gospel. And uh, so we had seen, I think it was number three, four, and five. I'd have to, have to check my records. But what we saw was that he healed a paralyzed man. Remember the man who was waiting by the pool and had been waiting there for over 30 years and, and hadn't been able to, to get healed miraculously in this special healing pool? And Jesus healed him, and he did it on the Sabbath day, which stirred up some trouble with the, the religious experts and Pharisees. And then he fed a crowd of 5,000 people, maybe one of his most famous miracles, with just a couple of loaves of bread and fish. And then he walked on the water, another big one that you sometimes see pictured in in sacred art. But then he had said some really alarming things about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and if you don't do it, you have no place in the kingdom and that kind of thing. And strangely enough, that... um, reduced the number of dedicated followers that Jesus had. They decided to go find a teacher who was less gory. Um, And so we pick up today in chapter 7. We're going to read the first 24 verses, and I'm going to ask Grant uh, Ashley to come forward. He's our reader for today. And if you'd like to follow along on the text, I think it's page 868 in these red Bibles. Yeah. Uh, It's also okay just to listen as Grant reads... John 7, 1 through 24, and I'll hold the microphone for you, Grant. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He did not wish to go about in Judea because the Jews were looking for an opportunity to kill him. Now the Jewish festival of booths was near. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may also see the works you are doing. For no one who wants to be widely known acts in secret. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify against its works of evil. Go to the festival, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone to the festival, he also went, not publicly as it were, but in secret. The Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, Where is he? And there was considerable complaining about him among the crowds. While some were saying, he is a good man, others were saying, no, he is deceiving the crowd. Yet no one would speak openly about him for fear of the Jews. At about the middle of the festival, 
Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews were astonished at it, saying, How does this man have such learning when he has never been taught? Then Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but is he who sent me. Anyone who resolves to do this, or to do the will of God, will know I am speaking on my own. Those who speak on their own seek their own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and there is nothing false in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you looking for an opportunity to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus answered them, I performed one work, and all of you were astonished. Jesus gave you, or Moses gave you circumcision. It is, of course, not from Moses, but from the patriarchs. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath in order that the law of Moses may not be broken, you are angry with me because I healed a man's whole body on the Sabbath. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. All right. Thank you so much, Grant. Liturgy is the work of the people, and Grant is one of the people, so I'm grateful for his involvement. Do you remember um, how you used to make covers for your, your school books? Do the kids still do this anymore? I don't know if you still do this anymore, but those of you who are my age or maybe, maybe a little bit younger or older will remember this. So I have a piece of white paper here and one of my seminary textbooks, uh, History of Christianity by Justo Gonzalez. And um, if you got a, a school book, biology or chemistry or <clears throat> whatever, you could, you could get a, like a shopping bag, back when shopping bags used to be made of paper instead of this horrific plastic that they use. Um, and what you would do is you would kind of fold it, right, up against this. Remember doing this? Anybody else know what I'm going to do here? Okay, and then you would, you would fold it down after you measure it. And when you're done, if you did it carefully and correctly, you could put the thing right in there. And it made a little cover. Right. And so... Fold it like that. And then this was the tricky one. You had to close it when you did it. Otherwise, it was too tight, right? Did you ever do that and make it too tight? Oh, I used to hate that. To start over again. And then the book slid right in to the cover like this. Do they do this in school still? I feel like kids are missing out if they don't do this. Yeah, they have to, uh, you don't have to put these on your iPad anymore, dummy. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Trapper Keepers were awesome. Yeah. Right? So here we have this book. It's all... <laughs> right. Yeah. If it was Jesus, it would already be done by now. But <laughs> so this was great, not only because it, it protected the book, but because you got to experience the enormous pleasure of writing on a school book, right? So you could write whatever you want on the book, and um, <laughs> you wouldn't get in trouble with the teacher, right? And if you wanted to, you could be sneaky, right? And 
put something on the cover of the book to make the teacher think it was something else, right? So I've written physics on this book. My physics teacher doesn't know the joke's on him because I'm reading a history of Christianity in his class, right? <laughs> like, ah. Oh. Yes, frictionless planes, I know, right? And again, you could do this and be sneaky, and the teacher would never, you'd never get in trouble, right? But as you heard in today's teaching, and I will now say to you again in what is a very awkward transition, Jesus did get in trouble with the teachers of the law. And not just with the teachers of the law, but actually with some of the people in the crowd who'd gathered in Jerusalem to observe this important festival, the Festival of Booths or Tabernacles. Because when people wondered about how he could have become so learned without any teaching from the temple, remember he's from Galilee, which is like Henrietta. (laughs) He says that he's not actually speaking on behalf of himself, but he's speaking on behalf of God. This is kind of like the, the, one, of the, one of the top few things you don't want to say within Judaism at that time. He claimed to be speaking on behalf of God himself. And then he went one step further, if you look at verse 17, saying that if the other people were true followers of God, they would have known that his teaching was from God. He says, anyone who resolves to do the will of God will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own. So Jesus is getting the people awfully worked up. And then, because he knows that their their beef with him is his failure to observe the letter of the law, he does this quintessentially Jesus-y thing. He catches them in their hypocrisy. He reminds them that in order to keep the law as closely as they intend that everybody should have to keep it, they actually have to break the law. He tells them, none of you are actually following the law. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Verse 19. And he goes on to explain that they break the Sabbath themselves every time they perform a circumcision on that day. So just briefly, circumcision is the sign of the covenant between God and the people of Israel. And tradition dictated that after a male baby was born, on the eighth day, he would be circumcised. So um, I'm a humanities person, but I think that means Friday. If the baby's born on Friday, the day of circumcision would be the following Sabbath, Saturday. You're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, and yet they would circumcise the baby. So in order to follow the law about circumcision, they had to break the law about Sabbath-keeping. He says, if you are so intent on observing God's law about one thing, circumcision, how could it possibly be wrong for me to heal somebody, their whole body, on the Sabbath? And the answer to that question is that there's no answer. (laughs) if you're one of the Pharisees, right? The answer is very simple from our perspective. The answer is that they were hypocrites and they were legalists. 
They were so slavishly concerned with the letter of the law that they neglected the spirit of the law. It's not the only time he says this, by the way. There's another occasion in the Gospels where um, the teachers of the law accuse his disciples of breaking the Sabbath because they eat some heads of grain as they're walking along and it's harvesting on the Sabbath. And he points out to them, don't you understand the Sabbath was made for human beings so that they could rest. Human beings were not made so that there would be somebody who could observe the Sabbath. That's not how it works. It's the other way around. And now he's teaching these other Pharisees, putting them in their place about circumcision, which actually, uh, it's almost as if he knows what's coming because this became a big issue for the early Christians. As some of you know, uh, when the Gentile nations started to convert to Christianity, some people wanted to insist that the males of those other nations be circumcised before they could become Christians. And if you want to hear what uh, the Apostle Paul has alarmingly to say about that, you could look up Galatians 5.12 on your way home, or if you get bored in the next few minutes, you can look it up. Just don't cry out when you read it. <laughs> so it's almost as if Jesus is anticipating this is going to be a problem for his own followers. So, let me drive to what I really want to say. If you look at verse 23, Jesus makes this really interesting transition that I don't want you to miss. First, he makes that point about circumcision on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath in order that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because I healed a man's whole body on the Sabbath? But then he says, in what appeared to me at first to be a non sequitur, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. It seems a remarkable thing for him to say. At first, I didn't see the connection between one thing and the other. Because he's essentially in that last bit saying, don't judge a book by its cover, right? Which is a nice sentiment, and I think we all agree. I mean, don't judge a book by its cover is like Sesame Street 101, right? This is not a controversial idea. But I didn't see at first how it fit with the rest of the conversation. I didn't see the connection between legalism and not judging a book by its cover. But then I saw it, and maybe this is already obvious to you because you've already seen this, but when I saw it, it was for me like one of those optical illusions, right? Like this one where you, you, you see either the old woman or the young woman. You've seen this a hundred times, right? I see the old woman at first, and then I look and I see, oh, there's the young woman in this picture. And once you see the other side of it, you can't unsee it. Right? Legalism and judging based on appearance, judging a book by its cover, are two faces that are contained in the same picture. Legalism actually is a form of judging a book by its cover, it's judging your book by its cover. See, when I hear, don't judge a book by its cover, don't judge somebody based on their appearances, I'm thinking outside myself, right? It's not about me. I see somebody, uh, you know, skinny jeans and a mustache and a, you know, a toque in July, and I think, hipster, right? I'm judging a book by its cover. But legalism is judging your own book by its cover. 
And I'll go you one further. Legalism is judging everyone's book by your book's cover. It's choosing a cover for your own book that makes it easy for you to be judged as righteous. And then, turning that on everybody else and insisting that this is actually the thing that God cares the most about. This is the thing by which we are all judged. Happens to be easy for me, lucky for you, not so much. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to change your ways. You would never do such a thing, right? You are all wonderful, open-minded, appropriately progressive, but not too much, people, right? We all do it. And legalism is not just for fundamentalists anymore, right? Right? See, as soon as you say, those fundamentalists are so legalistic, what are you doing? <laughs> you're, you're judging them by the cover of your own book. You happen to be an open-minded person. You don't struggle with judging other people. Oops. <laughs> See, if you make open-mindedness the litmus test and condemn other people because they're not open-minded, that's just a different version of the same old thing. You're judging everyone else's book by your book's cover. And here's the problem. See, as soon as you set up any test for righteousness, any test for righteousness other than Christ's righteousness which is transferred to you in the cross, you are on the hook for the entire law. If your test for true righteousness happens to be about human sexuality or not cheating on your taxes or telling the truth in all circumstances, even when you're Jesus and your brothers say, go to the festival, and you say, no, I'm not going to go to the festival, and then you go to the festival. Or <laughs> if your litmus test happens to be having enough concern for the environment or for the poor or just being a nice person, being an open-minded person, whatever your litmus test is, if you say that's the thing that makes me righteous, guess what? You are on the hook for the whole shot. You better not have any blind spots because you have just submitted to righteousness based on how good you do at keeping the law. You've just selected the part of the law that happens to be easy for you. That's what Jesus means when he says, judge with right judgment, or judge correctly, as I've titled the message today. Because in the end, we will all stand before Jesus as our judge. And whatever cover we have put on our book will be removed. And what's truly underneath will be exposed. So it's best to get it over with ahead of time. 
And so I want to ask you as we close our time in looking at God's Word this morning to take a moment of silent reflection and ask God to show you what cover is on my book that I might not be aware of, that I need to remove now because it's just my own little version of pharisaical legalism dressed up to look nice in the 21st century. What is the cover that God is asking you to remove? I'm going to give you two minutes silently to reflect on that, and then we'll close in prayer and come to the communion table together. Let's pray together. God, Jesus has called us to judge with right judgment, not to judge based on outward appearance. We confess to you now that we do judge based on outward appearance. Even even in saying that we don't, we sometimes are judging based on outward realities. Help us to focus on inward realities, both in offering and extending grace to others, but in receiving conviction in our own hearts. Help us, we pray, to receive the righteousness of Christ imputed to us through his death and resurrection. Instead of trying to form our own Forgive us and correct us when we construct our own outward law and impose it on ourselves or on others. Help us to walk in your grace and walk alongside others in your grace and to draw them in to your grace. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. So our communion table is open to Everyone here today who is following Jesus in this place, you need not be a member of our church or our denomination or any church or denomination. You need only to be following Jesus and trusting in Him and His grace. We take communion by intinction here, which simply means you tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. We have both wine and juice, whatever is more appropriate for you and your family. If you'd like to continue to think and reflect and pray, you are welcome to do that as well. We have a couple more songs to sing together. And uh, I believe there will be a member of the prayer team here. If you'd like personalized prayer this morning, you can receive it there. 
However God's Spirit is speaking to you, I would urge you to respond. And our table is open. Let's continue to worship him together. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.